Welcome to the Kelly Patrick Show. Thank you so much for tuning in. In today's episode, I am joined by AVL Oppenheim. He is the author of Ethics of Vaccine Passports, A Poor Bargain. Really appreciate AVL coming on the show. If you're a fan of the Kelly Patrick Show, please send some referrals the way of my sponsors. The title sponsor of the show is Louisville Combat Academy, located at 7908 Beulah Church Road, Louisville, Kentucky, 40228. They have a great MMA program, but also, even if you aren't planning on fighting in the cage, they have a great jiu-jitsu program for adults, female-friendly classes, and a great kids program also. Check out Louisville Combat Academy. Heidi Solars Coots. Heidi is a licensed clinical social worker and licensed clinical alcohol and drug counselor, specializing in treating anxiety, depression, trauma, and addiction with a mindful and holistic approach. Heidi is actually my mother, and I can attest she is a saint. Call her at 502-457-1823. Virtual and telephonic appointments are available anywhere in the United States. Veercast Digital Media. Veercast Digital Media at veercast.com. Matt McCarthy runs Veercast, and he is also the producer for The Kelly Patrick Show. They do video production, aerial drone photography, web design, and podcast production. Contact them at info at veercast.com to start your own video show or podcast. Also, my health insurance practice, Benefits Analysis Corporation. Based in Troy, Ohio, I work from my Louisville, Kentucky office. I can help anyone in the United States with their health insurance needs. I'm an independent broker for health insurance solutions for individuals, families, Medicare eligible individuals, and also groups. I can also write life insurance, and long-term care. If you want to support the podcast, please send me some referrals. 502-386-0978. Welcome to the Kelly Patrick Show. Thank you so much for tuning in. In today's episode, I am joined by AVL. AVL is the author of a recently released book. I should say recently. I guess that's what, six or seven months ago, it looks like it was released. Um, it is the ethics of vaccine passports, a poor bargain. AVL, how are you today? Hey, man, it's a uh, good to be here. I'm a uh, great. And you are joining us for our listeners who are not aware. AVL is joining us from up north of the border. Before we started recording, we were talking about AVL. You are up in Canada. Where around what area yeah. are you in? I'm uh, on. Hey, Ariel, so that's a province, and I'm around half an hour away from Toronto. Okay, and you, you've lived there your whole life? Uh, yeah, for the most part, yeah. Okay. AVO, um, before we jump into the specifics about your book, if it's all right, if you could introduce yourself to the Kelly Patrick Show audience, you're from Ontario area, you know, you're, you're up there, um, but... but you know, who's AVL? How did you come to identifying as an ANCAP, which I, I guess I would probably also fall into that uh, um, description if I had to describe myself politically also. But what's your story, AVL? How did you come to this point? Where did it start? Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> um, so I think it all sort of started in 2020. So prior to 2020, I went to university in 2015. So I'm 25. So I'm cool, way young. Uh, you're, 20, and I went you're 25 to, years old right now. Yeah. Okay. 
Okay. Yeah, so I'm 25 now. So I went. Uh, so I graduated in 2019, and I graduated in a psychology. Um, and I kind of was planning to go to grad school, but I wasn't exactly sure. And then the lockdowns hit in 2020, and then that's when a lot of things started to kind of uh, transform. So I feel like going through schooling, I wasn't really political, but I was more on the left, kind of like, you know, going through schooling and like, you know, I read like all Marx, right? And all those guys. So I kind of like, so I kind of had the kind of like the brainwashing, but not that much. Uh, And then when the lockdowns hit, it took me a few months to kind of be like, there's something very wrong going on here and there's something very corrupt about the entire system that we that we sort of are born into so that kind of red pill awakening really made me like i kind of had like a friend group right from high school and all that and the moment i started to get red pilled they started to like really drift so i kind of became very i uh, very isolated uh thankfully i had my family with me so i was kind of throughout 2020 2021 i was looking a lot about um i was uh, in- introduced to libertarianism from uh you know uh, eric in july i do er- eric is a what a musician and also with uh, does he uh, comic books? Yeah, and uh, he also has a y- y- YouTube channel as well. Okay, how so did, I kinda, how did you, I'm curious. How did you stumble across Eric July? Uh through you. Uh, I stumbled on first on YouTube, and then I was in his uh his, his, his Discord for like a uh, for like a few months. So I feel like that's where I really learned about people like Rothbard, Aslid, Frederick Bastia. So I went through like a red pill transformation. And I would say what got me to write the Ethics of Vaccine Passports book was the moment the vaccine passports were starting to be talked about. I think it was in the late 2020, once the vaccines were going out, they were like, uh, we have to find a way to make everyone get the vaccine. So let's make a program where you have to essentially get the vaccine or you can't go into a shop, school, restaurant, travel. So when that was going on. And a lot of the people that I knew, like my friends, had no problems with it. And I thought to myself, like, this is one of the craziest possible things that could ever come into existence. And nobody is and nobody is even upset about it. So that kind of made me want to actually go through it and try to piece my thoughts in a way. Okay, that makes sense. Um, I can see where someone, even if they lean to the left... You know, of course, I come from more of a right-leaning background, so a different perspective, at least, coming into it. But for me, uh, stuff like that started, they started closing down businesses, and you're like, at least I was like, what the fuck is going on? Like, this is pretty 
serious. I'm pretty sure the economy is important. You know, I, I think I think I have an idea of things that the way things should work. But this is not, and then also you're describing there, AVL, is that many people simply went along with it. For, for those of our listeners who don't know, the term red-pilled, what that means is someone who has gotten to the point where they no longer accept uh, what maybe the corporate media on the news is saying. They don't. They think it's all bullshit, really. They get to a point where they think everything that's presented to them is bullshit. Is that a good description, AVL? Yeah, and I would say too. I think red pilling is a questioning things that you haven't ever questioned before, and a big part is the government, right? I feel like people throughout their lives go through having a picture of the government as this like natural entity that that has always existed, and it's always fighting for the good of man and good of people but then you find out that none of that is true and then that kind of makes me really question other things around me that i haven't really questioned in the past at least makes sense uh avl i am very adhd very much so and i'm not medicated for it so my interview style reflects an adhd approach i'm going to ask you a few questions if it's all right related to canada of course. What is the reputation? What is your opinion on? And what is the reputation for Trailer Park Boys up there? <laughs> trailer Park Boys? Uh, like, what do you mean exactly? The, the, it's on, I think it's on Netflix, but it's a television <laughs> series. Have you ever seen that? No. Okay. Okay. Fair no. enough. Fair enough. So yeah, it's, yeah. maybe it's more popular down here very trashy television show i love it it's a trailer oh, park yeah? up in canada and a bunch of just degenerates who, <laughs> who, who live there there's like 20 seasons it's the craziest shit in the oh, world wow. but okay i'll continue right along what are your thoughts on jordan peterson jordan peterson i think he's a cool guy i don't really agree with everything that he he says but i think it's good to have a professor in Canada or at least prior professor talking about things that not many people in university talk about and I remember back in the day when I was like maybe 18 or 19 in school everyone talked shit about him <laughs> and then it's funny to look back now at the whole thing and seeing the way in which he, he was like vilified by so many in institutional professors and departments and so i think it's good to, so i'm glad he's gotten so popular um but uh, i'm not like an a big fan of his i wouldn't say that okay so you you came from the left you said you had previously read karl marx why did you read karl marx because you have like i feel like in school everyone has to re read that thing you know Really? Uh, in Canada, everyone yeah. has to read Karl Marx? Like, I was on a podcast with uh, Greg. Um, not sure if you know of him. Greg Curry Zink. He ha has a podcast. Okay. Um, so I talked to him around two months ago, and he also went to school in Canada, and he said he, he read Karl Marx like five times. <laughs> wow. So you say Karl Marx, that would be maybe Das Kapital... Uh, the Communist Manifesto is a big one. Okay. And I read that, not really 
caring for communism. I'd say I liked the word socialism as a word back in the day, and I was taught to not like capitalism and not like profit and not like corporations. And it, like right, like you know, all like the basic steps of what they do. So, but now I look back on it, and I don't share a lot of the views I did growing up. But I'd say I like people like um. Like it's funny. I think it's ancient to note that I learned about um, Thomas Jefferson, right? But the one thing I remember them telling me only is that he owned slaves. That's it. <laughs> Just a negative presentation. Exactly, a negative presentation. Although I, I, I liked him. I liked John Locke. I liked Voltaire. But I never had the idea of like a classical liberal sense. I didn't really know that as a word. Um, so it was kind of a, it's very sneaky the way they make you go through schooling and you kind of start to want more government power. You, you know, you kind of get tricked in, in, into thinking you're anti-establishment when you're like the exact opposite. Mm. It's very, very smart the way they do it. They are very smart. I mean, the entirety of Marxist, of Marxism is... <laughs> we need a dictatorship of the proletariat. Aha. So it's going to be a dictatorship of you. So if they put you into a gulag or they, you know, do anything to you, don't worry. You're doing it to yourself. So nothing to worry about basically. Right. And people buy it. That's essentially. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a big part of it is being economically stupid. That's, I think, a huge part. That's why they never talk about economics in general in school. And, like, I, I went through school, like, not even caring about economics. And the first economics book I read was Hazlitt. <laughs> so it really took me until I was, like, 23 or 24 years old. So I think a huge part of it is the population is just very um stupid in terms of... <laughs> the economy and then that makes them have very stupid thoughts about you know certain government policies and social programs that don't actually help them but they think it helps them i think that's a red killing thing as well in the process sure now my wife is from cuba and years ago when we met each other she was not as politically i guess you could say she would say as politically evolved as she is today but at the beginning, years ago when we met, she would say things to me like she had to read Marx also growing up. And, you know, I mean, it's the I, I can imagine it's extreme in, in Canada. I'm guessing it's kind of like the United States and then Canada and then above Canada is probably Cuba. Yeah. I'm guessing when it comes I to indoctrination so. in the schools. Um, but she, she would say things like Karl Marx acknowledges in his writings, he acknowledges that capitalism has some good parts to it. So they're so smart, the lefties, and Karl Marx in particular, and the people who uh, translate his works and the modern incarnations, they're very intelligent because they acknowledge, sure, there's some good things about it. I mean, they're not, they're not completely dumb. They know that in order to sell something, it has to sound pretty rational, and they, it has to sound like it's accepting everything from the right and the left. But, it, yeah, there's some good things about capitalism. However, and then, you know, he, he jumps into the, the criticism of it. So that's something that stuck with me was at the beginning when I met my wife years ago, she would acknowledge there was some good things about capitalism, but, but 
what she had read from Lenin and Marx um, was just a just a lot of criticisms. Okay, I know that was a random direction, AVL. Um, but okay. but your good. your your background in Canada is very interesting. What about your parents and your family politically? Do you mind to mention? Did you have any influence from them in the political yeah, well, realm? Interestingly, my mom is more on the left, uh, like classically liberal in, in in like a sense, and then my dad's more conservative. So it was interesting to get both sides of the spectrum, um, and I'd say they. Um, like I think a big part for the influence I think that they gave me was just to sort of um, think critically and and to be able to question things. And so I feel like, because I kind of wonder why, especially with my kind of people around me, is that the fact that we went through the same experiences and yet only some people are getting red-pilled, right? Like, it's interesting to kind of see why that is, right? Like, why sure. are we going through the same environment? And yet, for some reason, it only clicks in some people. And I feel like that may have an influence of the way that you're brought up and possibly the way you're taught to critically think. I don't really know. Like, that's, that's a good question. Sure. AVL, you mentioned your mother was more on the left, your father more on the right. You, for years, were more on the left. Would you now say you're more on the right? I would say, um, I would say I'm more on the right, but I'd say I'm like uh, more of an anarchist, sure. being like the ANCAP. So it would be kind of like I, I don't really see it as a left and right, but sure. I would say I'm. I, I let's say I do share things with the right that I may not have shared in uh, prior uh, years. Yeah, the private property rights seems to be a distinguishing uh, factor when it comes to describing where someone is on a political spectrum. And, and to yeah. say that you're closer to Mussolini or Hitler, kind of, by saying you're a little to the right, does sound kind of silly if you're simply acknowledging you believe the best system is one with private property rights. So I agree the left and right paradigm, or the left-right uh, spectrum is... is is um can be misleading yeah especially when they speak of freedom like that word freedom it's mm. uh, especially on the left and the right where they they always frame freedom as a thing that the government provides you it's never a, a freedom that's separated from the government and that's why they don't actually know what the hell they're even talking about in terms of like, they're very hypocritical, that's the word. And I think they, they don't even understand that. They have a hard time grasping that hypocrisy that they live with um, in the various aspects. AVL, do you believe in voting? <laughs> that's a good question. Um, uh, I think I'm kind of on the fence where I know like um, that I know the argument that voting can be seen as an act of aggression in the sense that you're enabling the government and you're enabling a, a institution that would not exist if nobody voted. But I also got people voting 
so they get to keep some of their freedoms that they w- that they know if they don't vote they may end up eventually losing so i don't know which is the right take but i understand both sides very rational description and it sounds like uh we have actually went through despite coming from the left and the right um we we, sounds like we have kind of came through a similar evolution uh over the past few years prompted of course by covid i my description would be my policy at least right now going forward is if i'm going to vote for a president of the united states i'm going to vote for the libertarian candidate or i will not vote same goes for uh, uh, well, actually, I should say this. If there is a, I live in Kentucky, so I got to vote for Rand Paul. Okay, Rand Paul is there. Oh, okay. I voted for Rand Paul. He's a Republican. I did vote for him. I voted against Mitch McConnell. Okay. Oh, yeah. So just common sense type voting. Ideally, exactly. I, I'd like to err on the side of voting for less war. You know, that type stuff. So I think that Rand Paul, a vote for Rand Paul is actually a, at least a tiny little bit of energy towards a little little speck toward the uh, anti-war type movement. So that's kind of my policy right now on on, on voting. What what are your thoughts on that? Uh, I'd say that makes sense. I know in Canada, there's a conservative party and the Canadian party or the liberal party, I mean. I think the interesting, the politics in Canada is interesting when you compare it to the U.S. Because in Canada, it's kind of all the same uh, in terms of the establishment party. So the conservative and the liberals, I tell you not, they're like identical. Mm. <laughs> like they like, you know, socialized healthcare, socialized education, socialized transportation, socialized red tapes, um, on laws are so bad in Canada and no one talks about them in terms of the establishment. So, you know, both the liberals and conservatives like a lot of gun control. Um, just, you know, there's a whole list of their identical. So I, it kind of is, that's unfortunate. They do have some smaller parties now, like the PPC and the Libertarian Party of Canada. But they're quite small. I don't really have specific thoughts about them, and I don't know if I were to vote who I would vote for. But I know in Canada, the federal landscape is very much lost. You know what I mean? Because uh, it's just ruled by the liberals, the conservatives, and the NTP, which is the liberals, but more socialism. So it's literally all, it's just all a bunch of socialistic uh, politicians. Uh, Growing up, what was your thought on the Trudeau family? Okay. And then what, what, are, what are your thoughts on, say, Justin Trudeau today? Okay, so I'm sure those are probably two different answers. What, what's your history yeah, yeah. personally yeah. with the Trudeau family? Yeah, so growing up, uh, you're kind of taught to like them, right? Like, um, and growing up when I was 18, I didn't vote when I was 18. I was like, I don't really care. Even at that time, I didn't really give a fuck about politics. Uh, but I did like him. <laughs> 
It's funny now. I hate his guts. What, 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 like, what, what, what did you like? So let's dive into that uh, uh, because that was real. I supported the war on terror in 2003. You know, we've all, we've, I don't yeah. know. Most people have, have some <laughs> yeah, most things people. in the past that they have done. In hindsight, they're like, what the fuck? Um, what did you like back then about Trudeau? That's a good question. I think it was, um, I think it, I think it's, I think part of it, at least a big part of it is the notion that I'm sure you have it in the States too, where if you're on the left or you're on the right, you can't fathom ever voting for the opposite candidate, right? Like you can't. So like so many people are like that. And I wasn't specifically like that, but I was growing up to not like conservatives much. I was kind of growing up to kind of, you know, to kind of have very stereotypical uh, views about them. Um, so I think my liking for Trudeau was just the fact that I couldn't fathom voting for a conservative, which is quite stupid. <laughs> um, but I think part of that, but I would also say Trudeau is a very, um, at least back then, he's quite a smooth uh, talker, you know? He, he's a smooth talker and he and he pretends to be very inclusive and very, uh, uh, you know, pretends to be very friendly. And I don't know, he's just very, he's like a freaking psychopath now. But back then, I think that attracted the young folks, especially when you compare it to possibly thinking Trudeau is like fighting the uh, the old, uh, uh, the kind of old establishment kind of. Um, so I would, I would, that's how I would answer the question. Okay. Very fair. Okay. So once again, when you were describing your political evolution coming from the left, you kind of went along, went along, everything's just normal. And then for you, a big part of your evolution was when Corona happened, it took a few months, but then they started toying with the idea of vaccine passports. And that's of course what you dive into in your, your book, uh, what was it uh, about that? So I didn't, of course, I've never lived in Canada. I don't know exactly how that went, but how did that go up in Canada when they started throwing those ideas around? Yeah, so I know um, the lockdowns here were quite bad. Like you c- couldn't go to a park. Uh, you couldn't literally go anywhere. It was pretty bad for over a year. And then vaccine passports hit and they were pretty bad here too. Like um, I know for me, I couldn't go inside of a restaurant. I couldn't go to the gym. I couldn't go on a train. Couldn't go on a plane. Uh, I couldn't go. And then a lot of people, in, in, a, a lot of students were expelled as well from, from their schooling. And um, it was just, in, it was quite literally a sense where you couldn't go anywhere unless you injected yourself with something. And that notion to me at that time, I kind of couldn't even fathom how it would even be an idea that was getting so accepted. The fact that I would, let's say I want to go grab a coffee, right? I would have to first inject myself and then go into the store and sit down and vice versa. If I'm, let's say, in a property owner right and i will want someone to come in and you know um and i want to sell them a coffee 
the fact that I have to make them first get injected with something from the government and then show proof of it from a document from the government, it just seems so totalitarian, you know? Certainly. So that was a big factor. Certainly. Did you were you vaccinated? Uh no, I was, and that made me lose a lot of uh, friends. <laughs> to this day, there's people that you're not friends with up in Canada. They think you're a pe- say- you're a very selfish piece of shit who does not care about old people or anyone except for yourself. You giant piece of shit. Is that right? Yep. And it was funny because I had like five friends, and throughout the whole year and a half. I would I I just would not get it, and they would always ask me almost every day, like, "Are you gonna you know, get the vaccine? Are you gonna get the vaccine?" I was like, "Nah, I don't think so." Nah, nah, like every fucking day. And then at one point, they were even starting to kind of blame me, very passive aggressively for the pandemic. Right? It's like, oh, you know, like you, you know, like you know, like the fact that you you are not getting vaccinated is why the pandemic is, you know, still going on and why, you know, we, we kind of have the vaccine passports now and why we had another lockdown in 2022. And I'm like, dude, I'm not doing anything. I'm just existing. <laughs> like, and so it really was a very half heartbreaking half i'm glad it happened because it kind of opened my eyes and i got to know who would kind of throw me in the gulag if it came down to it right so i kind of knew who my my friendships were that's an interesting topic and i've heard jordan peterson actually touch on this type of a conversation uh before in the right circumstances If you and I had lived in Germany, maybe let's just say I lived in Germany in 1920s and I was a young father, I was broke and I needed a job and I started working as a police officer and then slowly I became a Nazi soldier. Could I have killed a bunch of Jewish people just because they're Jewish? I think I could have. (laughs) Okay, I, I do. Um... And I think everyone could. And that's very sad. I mean, the Hol- Holodomer thing Michael Malice writes about. Yeah. I mean, I heard about that. Yeah. So you, people are eating their own children, not because they were weak people, but because they were in desperate times and they had really, they saw no real other viable option. So they just did it. They didn't put any thought into it. What you're describing is people who would have <laughs> not waited. For the, the for the desperation to set in, for any real carrot at the end of the stick, what you're describing is people who probably would have ratted you out, called you a piece of shit, thrown you under the bus, even if it meant going to a labor camp, yep. with no reward at all. They would have done it just, they were wait, literally waiting to do it. Yeah, and I remember even I went to a friend's house this was a few months in the lockdown because I n- never followed it at all. Even in the beginning, I would just go wherever I wanted. Uh, but I remember going to the street and I drove and I parked the car right right next to the house. And I saw people are, are around me just staring at me. And a lot of people in Canada called the cops on people that they knew were going into someone else's home. And I, and even to, um, 
kind of bring up. I went to a Cuban resort a few weeks ago. Where you went? And to, I found you went to Cuba. Yeah, yeah, a few weeks ago. You were in Cuba a few weeks ago. Yeah. Wow. It's a great place, great resort at least. It was very beautiful. Uh, but I met some guy there who was actually not vaccinated, and he's from Canada, and it's very like rare. And he said how he he lived with his mom and dad at the time in the basement, and the uh, mom and dad made him get a a weekly COVID test every week for a whole year. His old mom and dad. <laughs> so in Canada, there was a freaking. It was like. Kind of scary the fact that you thought that someone would just come up to you and stab you all because you just are not following the rules very quite scary and, and even at its worst i mean i mean trust me i do believe many people died directly from corona i believe that's accurate not saying that's not true um but the, it, it was not to the point where half the people you know were dying, you know, or something, ex- I mean, like, it, like it, it, quite the, the opposite. There was very few yeah. people actually, very, 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 very rarely was someone dying specifically from corona. Very rarely. It did happen many times, but numbers-wise, percentage-wise, it was a very rare case, and that's what it took for everybody to just switch into complete totalitarian mode. And, and you can even argue that even if it was worse and half the people that we knew were dying, I assume you're with me when I say I still don't think some government authority nope. should be able to tell me what the fuck to do. Even if it's yep. three quarters or four fifths yeah. of the people you know are dropping dead, who the fuck should be able to tell you to stay in your own house? I mean, what what are we talking about? Yeah. And I think a big part of that, especially here in Canada, is it's very infantile. So a lot of the population feel like they're small little kids and the government is their mom and dad, is their administrator, is their teacher, their principal. It's it's like a very school mentality. And I think that's being obviously bred in the school system, but People around me kind of kept telling me that the government's job is to protect you and keep you safe. And I'm like, says who? <laughs> I'm like, what? Like, who said that? You know, I just I don't understand where they're coming from. And so I think that's a huge issue is people just are not self-reliant and they don't want to be. And they don't want to be is what you said. That's that's a uh, that's pretty deep. What so so? What does that mean? They don't want to be. I would say, especially here in Canada, is that people are afraid of freedom. They're afraid of being responsible. They're afraid of having to take responsibility for their own actions. And I feel like they've really been bred to a situation where they simply want the government to make all the decisions for them and to keep them safe and they've really convinced themselves that that's for the best like i think universal basic income is a very popular idea in canada very popular on both sides of of the spectrum i think 
And then that's kind of a symptom of the greater problem. Well, just so you know, here in the United States, although, what is that Noam Chomsky quote? Is you want to give people the impression that they are free, give them an allowable political spectrum where they can debate, make the rules, and then let them have vigorous debate within those rules you created. So here in the United States... Similar to what you described, the conservative party and the liberal party, in my opinion, I mean, they're very much more similar than than anyone wants to admit. Uh, I would say Republicans, so the right-leaning party in the United States, probably also supports universal basic income on average. If you were to ask most Republicans and you would say it like this, hey, we... (laughs) We're not talking about socialism. We just want everybody to have a nice little check each month and, you know, uh, you know, just to pay the basic, the bills. The, 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 and then I think that's all it would take. Yeah. And the majority of Republican voters in the United States would go that. Well, I mean, that made sense. It made <laughs> sense. And, and you got to be sitting there thinking like, where, where do you think this money comes from? Are you a fucking moron? What, what kind of conversation is this? What is... What I mean, is there any thought that goes into this type of a, a decision before someone supports it? So I do think it's the same here in the United States. The vaccine passports is what you wrote about. What else can you tell us about the book? Um, so I would say to someone who hasn't read the book, I would say the book is in four parts. So there's four big aspects to the book. So essentially, it looks at vaccine passports and what it means for humanity like what does it mean for the relationship between government and the individual in the sense that a government can essentially make you take a pharmaceutical product by force in order for you to live an ordinary life like you know go to the movies go see family and then ultimately have to use a passport from the garment to show it so it looks a lot about that and and the way in which it looks at it too is where the second part of the book looks at the what i call the covid vaccine crusade and that is essentially the war on covid and so it looks at the government's policies and interventions throughout 2020 to 2022 um and to see how vaccine passports were brought about and the way in which they impacted people and then the way in which they ended for now. And then I would say another part of the book, and I think it's a big part, is I feel like to explain vaccine passports to someone 20 years in the future or 30 years, 100 years, is to kind of explain to them how vaccine passports came out of nowhere and to look at the arguments and the collectivist ideology that gave rise to vaccine passports. So a lot of the book looks at the arguments that were uh, utilized by politicians, by professors, by academics, by experts, and to show them how their arguments are shit. And they don't make sense, and they're just authoritarianism pretending to be philanthropic. 
And then the last one, and another part of the book, is what I call the vaccine matrix, and that looks at how a, a, how a population was primed to essentially accept vaccine passports so easily, and that's and that essentially being as a result of the idea that you have to accept every vaccine that comes out no matter what and it and if someone has the audacity to say no or to question a vaccine you get censored out of your mind and called anti-vax vaccine hesitant so all that is part of the matrix essentially has been going on since the 1960s 50s it's kind of a thing that essentially grew and led to a population that was so quiet on it. So it kind of looks at all of that and kind of helping to explain to someone how vaccine passports came about, how they were implemented, what they are, and their their consequences. What is your full name? Aviel Oppenheim. What kind of name is that? Uh, the Aviel is a Hebrew name. Okay. And Oppenheim is a German Jewish last name. But I don't really know too much about my past. It kind of stops at one point, you know. <laughs> were you uh, raised? Were you raised Jewish? I was actually born in and uh, I was actually born in Israel. Uh, and I moved here in grade two. But I'm not a religious person. But of course, your family's Jewish. Uh, they are Jewish in background and whatnot, but I wouldn't say any one of them is religious in in the sense that you may think a Jewish person is. Uh, but yeah, that's kind of like a little background. But uh, <laughs> yeah. Was this your first book you've ever written? Yeah, first book. I kind of... I think the lockdowns or 2020 in general made me kind of go in a different path. So I've always been a fan of writing and stuff, but I never really thought I could ever become an author and it could work. But in 2020, I said, just, you know, let me at least try it. Um, and so it's the first nonfiction book. And I actually have a fiction book that I'm planning to publish in a few months. Uh, it's kind of like, political but it's not i kind of want to try to make some in some influence and impact especially at especially at a time where there's just so much propaganda from all over right you know the the corporate publishers are all very propagandist all the entertainment hollywood is all very propagandist so I'm hoping to kind of sprinkle some uh, some truth in the mix, I guess. When it comes to not or non-left-leaning media, historically, it possibly in a similar vein to what I assume you will be doing, Eric July possibly is a more modern version. Historically, maybe Ayn Rand. Is there any? Do you agree with those two? And is there anyone yep. I did not mention? Uh, 
I think that those are good. I would say, um, uh, I mean, Orwell was more on the leftier, right, a little bit. But I think he was he at least an, uh, so, somewhat honest lefty, right? Honest, le- yeah. They, they, they do. That is an interesting topic. And I was t- yeah. t- telling my kids about this. Is I do believe honest, good, honest lefties, of course, do, of course, you know, do exist. And they can even, like Jimmy Dore, for example. Right, him. He's yeah, not bad. Yeah, or Glenn Greenwald even. You know, guys that will point out corruption when they see it, at least. Yeah. So I guess Orwell would fall into maybe that category. Is there anyone else, when it, when it comes to your writing, whether fiction or nonfiction, that you would say has served as an inspiration for you as an author? Uh, I would say those three are good. Um, and I would say Orwell is a big one too. He's uh, like I think even though he was on the left, he did die quite early in life. And the notion is that if he would have grown up and kind of seen the way in which socialism in Britain was absolutely talk shit in the 1950s and 60s, he would have switched his mind a bit. Because I know he even was very. I know Orwell was fond of um, Hayek. Um, so I feel like I've, I, th- I think a lot of people sleep on him and people on the left who are socialists who think Orwell agrees with them in terms of what they want right now today. They're insane. <laughs> you are 25 years old. When did you first read Animal Farm or 1984? 1984 was in high school. I read it twice. Uh, Animal Farm, I read in 2020, actually. And that's a great book. Oh, wow. Animal Farm is so brilliant. My wife loves it. Yeah. The way in which it talks about the Constitution and how it's pretty dog shit in the sense of how it will just change. Completely subjective. It's so subjective and it just makes it so it's... So it allows the person who holds the Constitution to have all the power. So I think he's very brilliant in the way he did that. And not many people pick up on um, on that kind of... So I would say Animal Farm, 1904, great books. Uh, I read Huxley. Uh, uh, he's a good world. one, too. Yeah, I kind of forget that book. I have to go through it again. I yeah, I read that also many years ago. But I should many read years. A Brave New World again also. Yeah. Um, but other than that, though, I mean, I, I don't really, yeah, I don't think there's anybody else. But I do, uh, Eric July is a big inspiration, I would say. And I think it's great that he's going independent as well. Uh, so I hope, you know, it, it, it all goes well for him. Well, AVL, I really appreciate you joining me for the episode today. Before we wrap things up, what plugs would you like to mention? What, you know, I, of course, I contacted you on Twitter. So, of course, your Twitter handle, but any other social media or or anything else you'd like to mention? Well, I first like to just say I'm glad to be on the show and I'm uh, happy you invited me on. And I would say to find me, you can find me on Twitter at Oppenheim AVL. So it's my last name and then my first name. And you can find my books on Amazon, Barnes and Noble. And you could find it in uh, any bookstore. You 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 will just have to order it all, uh, online. So 
uh, if you're interested in that. And if you want to see a, uh, how it looks like. Okay. It's got a, a barcode. Yeah. Well, Aviel, I really appreciate you joining me. Thank you very much. Thanks, man. Have a good day. Thank you to everyone for tuning in. Of course, we'll have another episode of The Kelly Patrick Show out soon.